Court, right? Yeah. Okay. I'm glad you guys are here, and uh, we're going to continue uh, to study uh, this, this this enormous topic, which is um, the Garden of Eden, and uh, what went wrong, basically. Um, you know, typically, typically, we think of the Garden of Eden as the uh, a metaphor, or another way of saying paradise, uh, another way of saying per- perfection. And so I heard many years ago, Reb Shlomo said one time, it always stuck in my head, he said, if the Garden of Eden was so perfect, what was the snake doing there? So in other words, in other words, we have to kind of re, re, reframe, just understand on, on a deeper level what the Garden of Eden was and to contextualize it. Because as, as, as we understand from, from a... From our learning thus far, creation itself is a process toward perfection. And while that, that process was supposed to be very, very tight, very small, basically uh, male and female, Adam and Chava were created a few hours before Shabbos, and then they were supposed to basically work the garden to, to, to observe and to honor creation and God and then go into Shabbos and that would have been the end of history and the perfection of the world. The way I heard Rabbi Green put it, and it's a sort of a stunning way to view world history and our own lives, is that because we made that mistake and we're in the process of fixing that mistake, what happened was Arab Shabbos, those few hours before Shabbos, had been stretched out so in other words, all of human history, all of civilization, is one long era of Shabbos. We're just on the threshold of the great Shabbos, which we now call Mashiach. But it's all just a lengthening of that sixth day. So, so let's go back, because if we understand what went wrong, it will give us keys to how we can rectify our lives today, and, and, and what we ourselves should concentrate on, on the most fundamental level. So now, so we've been exploring different aspects of it, and one of the things that we've been looking into is what the snake wanted with Chava. It's a, it's a very mysterious topic. It says, Rashi brings down that, that, that the snake actually saw Adam and Chava physically intimate in the Garden of Eden, and he desired Chava, and he wanted to kill Adam and marry Chava. And that, in fact, he, he was successful in being intimate with Chava. And so, so on a very, very deep level, we're told, please don't understand that in a literal way. These are, these are very, very deep ideas, and these... These are the best metaphors. These are the best ways to communicate very, very deep ideas. But don't get blinded by the, uh, the, you know, the, the, the drama and the, you know, the appeal of the, of the package. Look inside and figure out what's really being said over here. So, we went into the Maharal, and the Maharal says something quite amazing, which is that what the snake did was he 
Put the concept of lack inside of Chava. In other words, it wasn't a physical interaction, but he introduced this idea that Chava was missing something when in fact she wasn't really missing anything. And furthermore, this is based on a, a Gomorrah in Mesech Sota. The Chachamim, the sages, bring down a, a claw, a foundation, which says the following, that if someone sets their eyes on something that isn't meant for them, that, that, they should, that isn't theirs, that they should avoid, that they don't get that thing, and that which they actually possess is taken away from them. Which is very heavy. And they give as an example for that, the snake itself. That the snake set its eyes on Chava, which was not meant for the snake. So not only did he not get that, and furthermore, hatred was... Well, when, wait, wait a second. Not only did he not get Chava, but that which he had was taken away from him. We know that the snake, before, before this whole incident stood upright, had arms and legs, ate human food, which is a very high level since there's a, a distinction between human food and food for animals. It was the king of the animals, the wisest of the animals. It had all of these gifts. And yet all those things were taken away from it. And then furthermore, he desired Chava, and now there's hatred between human beings and snakes. And I mentioned before, and I don't know if, if, if the rest of you can identify with this, but it's, uh, to me it's a very striking thing. Snakes creep me out. And I think a lot of people have that reaction. I know growing up seeing snakes on nature videos, it's sort of like, especially those close-ups, or the, the animals traveling through the body of the snake, was like, I couldn't, I couldn't even look at that, you know? Um, but anyway, there's something very primal about the snake. By the way, something kind of interesting, just a P.S., but, you know, we always want to get the, uh, the fullest, the fullest uh, broadest viewpoint in, the, in these talks that I'm capable of uh, communicating anyway. It says in the Gomorrah and Gomorrah Brachas, if one dreams of a snake, it's actually a dream about money. It's a, it's a, it's a blessing that money is coming. Not only that, but if one is bitten by a snake in a dream, it's double, double money. But if one kills a snake in a dream, no money. And then, interestingly, the Gomorrah then says afterwards that uh, someone, one of the Chachamim disagrees. He goes, no, if you kill the, kill the snake, it's still money. And then another sage says afterwards, no, he just dreamt that he killed a snake. So he wants to make sure that his, his, his money uh, is still coming. And by the way, there is something to that. It's not just game playing. Because the Gomorrah brings down in Gomorrah Brachas that, if, uh, that, the, that a dream goes according to its interpretation. So while a dream has a certain, uh, I'll put this in heavy quotation marks, uh, power, meaning something is being communicated, one's interpretation of the dream also has the power. And also, um, 
also combines with what's being sent and, and, and also, uh, also is significant. So one should always be careful if anyone tells you a dream or you have a dream to give it a positive interpretation. And if someone ever tells you a dream, you should say, that's a good dream. That's an important thing. Because a dream goes by its interpretation. That's what the Gomorrah brings down. But let's get back to this idea of the snake imparting this concept of lack, that something's missing, into human beings. So we know that we do have legitimate needs, and one shouldn't scoff at their own needs, but to take them very, very seriously. However, there is a category of needs that we feel that we have that aren't real needs. And so it's very interesting that the language, that the language that um, is used in the, in the Chumash, Chava, Eve says that the snake came to me, he deceived me, and I ate. Now, the Chachamim interpret this word that he deceived me as also means that he was intimate with me. So, in other words, this thing, and, and, and we understand that the idea that the snake being intimate with Chava really means that he imparted an idea to her. That's on a deep level. That's what it's really saying. He imparted an idea to her. So, and what was that idea? That idea was lack. That something is missing. The Maharal uses the word chesaron. means lack, something missing. So now, we can finalize this... Uh, mathematical equation to show that lack equals deception. Because this word, he deceived me, which also means he imparted something in me, which means he communicated lack to me, equals he deceived me. So in other words, to make the point very clearly, sometimes when we sense lack in our lives, we are being deceived. That's a deception. The lack isn't actually there. It's very, very, very important. So now, I want to go over something which I, I, to me was just absolutely fascinating. Just a beautiful, just kind of like a nugget of, of Torah here. The Marasha on this Gomorrah in Sota, Davtes, uh, asks the following question. If the snake wanted to marry Chava and kill Adam, and he knew that eating from the tree, because it says, in, it says in the Torah that Hashem says, if you eat from the tree of knowledge, you'll die. Right? So, if the snake desired to kill Adam and marry Chava, why did he have Chava eat from the tree? Does everyone hear the question? If he wants to kill Adam, he should get Adam to eat from the tree, not Chava. That way, Adam will die, and Chava will live. Does everyone hear the question? So, it's a, it's a, so, so the snake was so smart, what's he doing getting Chava to eat from the tree? So now listen to how the Marsha explains it. A fascinating reconciliation, step by step, getting inside each of the players' heads, what they were all thinking, and how they all made mistakes. All right? 
right, you're ready? So, so let's begin with, with, with the snake's misconception. The snake obviously thought that if Eve eats from the tree, she's not going to die. But why would he think such a thing if Hashem said, if anyone eats from the tree, they're going to die? So he answers the question in an amazing way. He says, look in the text. When Adam got the commandment not to eat from the tree, and that if you eat from the tree, you'll die, Chava hadn't been created yet. Chava was still inside Adam. So the snake thought, since Chava, Eve, hasn't been created yet, that therefore she's not obligated in this mitzvah. Therefore she can eat from the tree, and if she eats from the tree, she won't die. But what the snake didn't realize was that Chava was part of Adam, and anything that Adam is commanded, Chava is also commanded. By the way, that's, that's a good um, answer to um, sort of a, any, any uh, anti-sort of woman understanding of, of the Torah. That, that from the outset, the commandments are understood as belonging to male and female alike. And they're both unified in receiving the commands. And that even when Chava wasn't there, Chava and Adam are treated as a joint entity. And that there isn't a discrimination between one and the other. It just occurs to me now that, that, that you see, you see the, the, the wholeness of male and female alike in terms of their heavenly duties nicely here, uh, on the spot here. But anyway, that aside. So, so now, Chava and Adam are equally obligated not to eat from the tree. But the snake doesn't know that. Okay? So now Chava gets created, and now we've got mistake number two. Adam says to Chava, God said, because Chava didn't hear the command from, from God, even though she was obligated in it, she hears it from Adam from the first time. Adam says to Chava, don't eat from the tree and don't touch the tree. God didn't say don't touch the tree. He just said don't eat from the tree. So here we have the first rabbinical fence around a mitzvah. And it was meant to help Chava. It was meant to help her. Meaning, you know something? To make sure that you're not even going to eat from the tree, I'm going to erect an extra mitzvah. Don't even touch the tree. Then for sure you won't eat the tree. But where did, he go, where did he go wrong? He didn't tell her that this was from me and not from God. It's very, very, very important when you teach Torah, when you learn Torah, to know what's deraisa, what's derabanan. We have to also do the derabanans. The derabanans are there to help us to do the deraisas. But there are instances where things get a little bit haywire or messy or whatever it is. And then when we're in sort of like um, emergency situations, we have to prioritize and we have to know the status of the different commandments. Otherwise, we can't function in the realm of Torah in a knowledgeable way. So the snake... But what's, what's, what's interesting here is that the Masorah, the handing down of God's word, you know, from person to person, from generation to generation, 
the Masora hits a roadblock in the very first communication of it. The very, very first giving over of what God said already is replete with difficulties. That's sort of, I mean, remarkable. But anyway. Was it a test for the snake? Well, it was a test for us. It was a test for us because, and we're going to, we'll, we'll get back into the, what, the, what the Maharaja is saying, but, but just so you understand, the snake, we said, represented lack. The, the snake had absolutely everything going for it, and yet it, it desired that which it didn't have. So since it wasn't a test for the snake, and that's a very good question, it was a test for Adam and Chava, what was our test? So according to this way of learning it, we were supposed to see lack. We were supposed to encounter that which symbolizes that which is missing. And we were supposed to say back to it, nothing is missing. This thing that you tell me is missing isn't really missing. That was supposed to be our response to it. So, well, the completion of the world was still missing. You see, we are created. I heard it said so beautifully by someone, actually I found out who was in rehab. I, I thought always it was a great Hasidic master, but maybe there's no, uh, maybe there's no contradiction. Um, it, this was that every single person is created with a God-shaped hole inside of them. So all of us are actually created with a sense that there is something deeply missing. So we do have this concept of lack. But what this concept that something missing is, is the completion of the world. Is the role that we are not whole without our relationship with God and without each other. But then it's very easy to misapply this very sensitive spiritual instrument of lack. And we can say, you know what else I'm lacking? A Maserati. And you know what else I'm lacking? The fact that you have my Maserati. <laughs> And you know what? Forget about the fact that you paid for that Maserati. <laughs> you know, so all of a sudden we can take that sense of lack and misapply it, and then all of a sudden, you know, destruction comes from, from this thing. Um, so let's get back into it. See, this is why it's so interesting that the Chachamim divine wealth. You know, listen to how central this concept is. I know you've all heard this before. But maybe we can appreciate it on a deeper level now. When the sages say in Perke Avos that what does it mean to be rich? Right? Who's rich? Someone who's Sameach Bechelko. Someone who is happy with what they have. It's a very, it's a very, 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 very deep statement. Because it means that they're not concentrating on lack. Or they're confronted with lack and are rejecting false concepts of lack. And then, if you want to get even deeper, perhaps this is even a formula for actual wealth. That if one truly appreciates what one has, then perhaps God will actually bless them with wealth. In other words, instead of learning it in the following way, who is rich? Someone who's happy with what they have. So in other words, I don't need any money to be rich. That's the classic way of, of, of learning it, as long as I'm happy with what, I'm ha what I have. I'm, I'm suggesting another interpretation. You want to become rich? 
Here's a formula for becoming rich. Who's rich? The person who's happy with what he has. In other words, if you're really happy with what you have, and you're thanking God for what you have, God says, I'll make you rich. I'll give you more. So, so let's get back into it. So, so the snake, the snake knows that Chava is confused. She's been given, she's been given two bits of instructions. Don't eat from the tree and don't touch the tree. So what does he do? He pushes her against the tree and he says, look, you didn't die. And just like you didn't die from touching the tree, you're not going to die from eating from the tree. So he gets her to eat from the tree. So, now death wasn't instantaneous back then. Because the real exile from the Garden of Eden was not so much eating from the tree. Okay? Now this gets very deep again. Later on, Hashem comes to Adam and Chava and says, what did you do? And remember, they're hiding at this point. Why are they hiding? Now this is from the uh, Orsameach. Very, very, very deep idea. We can apply to our lives today. Before they ate, they saw every day, they were unified. Their body and their soul was unified. And they were naked, but they didn't experience any sense of shame from their nakedness. Okay? Because their body and their soul were unified. When they disobeyed God and they ate from the tree of knowledge, what happened was they felt a contradiction between their body and their soul. And that sense of contradiction between their body and their soul caused them to hide. So, so this is, again, it's, it's, it's a very, very, very deep psychological insight that sometimes what, 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 what makes us uncomfortable in life, what introduces um, fear in, in our lives at a very deep existential level, sometimes is when we sense that our bodies needs and our soul's needs are contradicting each other. And the answer is for the soul to be behind the driver's wheel. When the soul is behind the driver's wheel, which is how it was before we ate from the tree, and the soul is the master, then that sense of contradiction we don't experience, or we experience it much, much less. We all make mistakes and everything like that. That's, that's because we're human beings. That's, that's not a problem. But at least we have the, the paradigm back intact when the soul is driving our, our existence. So now, now what happens is Chava goes to Adam. Okay? You see, now, just to recap for a moment, remember, the snake made a mistake. He wanted to kill Adam and marry Chava. He didn't know that Chava was also commanded not to eat. She just happened to be inside of Adam at the time. She hadn't been fully formed yet. And so now the snake messes up. He gets Chava to eat first, and now Chava's dead. Or she's got this death sentence on her. Chava, meanwhile, thinks, doesn't know what to think. She's been told that if you touch the tree, you're going to die. 
If you eat the tree, you're going to from the die. She touched the tree, she didn't die. Now she ate from the tree, and she's okay. So now she brings the fruit to Adam. And Adam knows you can touch the tree, but he, not, he but as far as he understands, if you eat from the tree, you're going to die. So he sees she ate from the tree and didn't die. So he, he also eats from the tree. Because now he's questioning what's going on in terms of our relationship with God. Now God, in his mercy, didn't bring death immediately. Because it says God doesn't desire death. He wants whoever makes mistakes to repair their mistakes. That's what Hashem wants. As Rabbi Nachman says so beautifully, if you believe you can damage something, you also have to believe that you can repair it. That's one of the rules of creation. And so while they're hiding from God and they're experiencing this deep sense of contradiction within their own existence, God comes up to them and says, what happened? God knows what happened. God knows what happened. But what was he doing? He was giving them a chance to fix whatever they needed to fix. You see, this is very, 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 very essential. Because many of us go through life thinking, God, who is God? What is God? He's up there. He's waiting to zap me as soon as I make a mistake. That's who God is. God is the holy zapper. Right? Right? That's who God is. Just waiting for me to make a mistake. And you know what? It's even worse than that. He's putting all these things in front of me in order for me to make a mistake. And then as soon as I make the mistake, ah, it's even worse, right? But when we see the very, very first mistake and we see what's happening in terms of the way God interacts with us, we see it's very, very different. God says, you'll bring death into the world if you eat from the tree. They ate from the tree. Did he bring death into the world right away? Was he just waiting for the opportunity to zap them? No. Because they both lived after they ate from the tree. Not only that, but did he kick them out of the Garden of Eden? If I asked you, why were Adam and Chava kicked out of the Garden of Eden? Right? Ten out of ten people probably would say to me, because they ate from the tree. But after they ate from the tree, look at the, look at the accounts in the Torah. Is that when they're kicked out of the Garden of Eden? No. No. God comes to them and gives them a chance to fix it. He says, what happened? And what, is, what, is, what does Adam say? She, he points to Chava. He says, she, she's the one. That, the one who you gave to me, right? Now he's blaming it on God. Not only is he not accepting responsibility, he's blaming it on Chava and God. The one you gave to me is the one who caused me to eat. Okay? And then, it's Chava's turn. Did they get kicked out at that point? It's another level of chesed from Hashem. Right? Say, 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 Adam is the man of the family. Right? Here's another answer to a, any negative interpretation of the woman's role in Torah. Right? Say, well, Adam's the man of the family. He makes all the decisions. He spoke on their behalf. They should be kicked out right after Adam speaks. Not the case. Chava, very worthy, right? She gets her turn to speak before God. Chava, what happened? 
The snake did it. I didn't do it. The snake did it. He made me. All right. So, so then Hashem says, okay, so now, 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 now the fixing has to take place. So in other words, just to review an essential point here. Hashem doesn't desire death. And he doesn't long to punish or to correct or to make any tikkun. He gives us opportunities to fix whatever we need to fix. He presents the opportunities. Very important. Very, very important. This is, this is why it's so valuable for me anyway, just speaking personally, to always go back to this, to this account of the Garden of Eden because it's God's first interaction with us. And so you can see so much in such a clear way before everything gets complicated by all the other sort of problems that spring up. You can see in such a pure way how God interacts with us. That's why I keep on going back to this on a personal level, you know, just for clarity's sake. So, okay. So let's talk about death for a moment. It's very interesting. Why... Why did we have to die at all? So, so, listen to this thought. This is from the Shalah HaKodesh. Very, very interesting thing. He brings down that before we ate from the Garden of Eden, before we ate from the Tree of Knowledge, that man and woman alike could see all of eternity. There was no separation between this world and the next world. All of eternity could be seen. After we ate, the zuama, this, this sort of like spiritual toxin, entered into the world and entered into our perception of the world and our perception of God. And there was like a, a barrier to perceiving eternity. This barrier was due to the elevation of our gashmias, of our physicality. Our physicality, at that point, kicked in and became a screen blocking our perception of eternity. So, so now listen to this. How do we now get past that blockage? And how do we now re-engage with eternity. So on a very deep level, when the soul leaves the body, there is now no physicality, there's no physical blockage to eternity anymore. And now the soul can enter back into eternity. So instead of seeing, understanding death, we should all live long and be happy and everything like that, but at the end of 120, instead of understanding death as a punishment, Death is basically a way of leapfrogging over this roadblock that was put into the world. This physical barrier, which is our physicality, which became enhanced after this, the soul leapfrogs over this physicality and reengages with eternity. So in this way we can understand the, the blessing connected to it, as opposed to just seeing it as a, as a punishment. So, 
So of course we have to wait, you know, until Hashem decides. But but it's a it's a uh, it's another way of understanding the, the, the chesed behind it. Um, I want to I want to point something out, something that that I I noticed. Um, you know, once once the physical um, uh, becomes um, enhanced. Uh, the Emekadavar, the uh, Nitziv, says that the, the, the Homer, which is the physicality of a person, that the Homer became enhanced, became more stated in terms of the balance between body and soul. The body became sort of more what we sense ourselves to be. What did they do? They made coverings over their um, reproductive organs. Okay? Um, originally, they, as we said, before they ate, they, they, didn't, they were naked and they didn't sense any shame whatsoever. But afterwards, there was a, um, a self-consciousness, uh, especially in this area, and so they, they covered themselves. Now, the word for this covering that they put on, you know... Uh, by the way, there's an opinion that the fruit that they ate from the tree of knowledge was a fig. And the reason why there's a belief that it was a fig is because it says they covered themselves with fig leaves. Right? So, so in other words, where did the fig leaf come from? It must have come from the fig tree, so they must have eaten a fig. That's from the Gomorrah. That's one way of, of learning out that the fruit was a fig. There are many different opinions what the fruit was, by the way. But anyway, this covering, it's translated here as apron, um, whatever, is chagoros. That's the word that the Torah uses. Now, isn't it interesting that the gematria of the word chagoros is 611, which is the gematria of Torah. The word Torah is 611. This covering that they put on their bodies is the same gematria as the word Torah. What I learned from this is that, and the Nitzit says it outright, although not with this gematria, he says that Torah becomes the rectification of the Chomer. That, that how does one sort of heal one's physicality in this world? This, um, this lopsided balance of the perception of body and soul that kicked in after this event, through Torah... One recalibrates the body. And so fascinating that what they use to cover up their nakedness, their self-consciousness, their, their out-of-whack sense of physicality was Torah. Gematria 611. Chagoros. So the Rambam says, that we're going to eat from the tree of life. We're still going to eat from the tree of life. You know, it's interesting to me, I was thinking about it some more. And, um, you know, there was a mistake in the Garden of Eden before they ate from the tree of knowledge. Hashem commanded the fruit, tr the fruit trees, not just to bear fruit, but to, that the trees themselves should be 
fruit-like. In other words, the bark of fruit trees should be the same as fruit. And yet, after Hashem commands this, if you look at the Pusik itself, it says that there was a distinction between the bark of the tree and the fruit of the tree. In other words, the trees rebelled even before Adam and Chava were created. The trees said, so to speak, if my bark is as delicious as my fruit, I'm going to be eaten alive. I'm not going to be able to survive. And so it's sort of like, the bark will be bark. You know, people put up um, exteriors. If people know how nice I am, they're going to take advantage of me. They'll, they'll just eat me alive, right? So I'll be tough on the outside and whatever it is. I won't really show what's in my inside. I won't be nice as, as I really am, you know? So isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting that the first mistake from the Garden of Eden comes from a fruit tree which had made a mistake even before we made a mistake. Not only that, but think about what a fruit is. We talked about the sense of lack that the snake imparted into us, that we perceived a lack. You know what's interesting about a fruit? A fruit has a covering on the outside. And have you ever had this conversation with anyone? I've noticed that... uh, (laughs) Sort of surprised me recently, I've heard people say that. Oh, are the oranges good? Are those good oranges? You know, you don't, you don't know, because sometimes, have you ever had an orange that's such a disappointment, it's like totally dry on the inside, it's kind of like cardboard, it's like, oh, what a drag, you know? <laughs> but then you have other oranges, and it's like, oh, this is such a good orange, it's so juicy and sweet on the inside, right? You don't know from the outside. Fruit is really interesting, as just like a as a construct, because it's sort of like there's a mystery. What's inside of it? You know? It it totally plays into our sense of, or our perception of lack. The snake says, eat the fruit. Chavez must be thinking, wow, what's inside that fruit? What does it taste like? What's inside that thing? You know, a lot of us, if we knew, we have... I think all of us have experienced this at one point in our lives or another where we really desired something. Let's even say lusted after something. Let's take it to the full hilt. And we got that thing and we were like, eh. (laughs) Why did I make myself crazy over that thing? That really wasn't so great. But from the outside, when it's hidden, right, we want to know what's on the inside. So, so we got tripped up. We got tripped up. Now, I just want to um, just want to end with with a thought. Hopefully, this will connect. Uh, one of the most famous passages. It's actually just part of the pasuk that you should love your neighbor like yourself. By the way, interestingly, if I were to say to you, what's the most ideal way to love your neighbor like yourself? You might think, well, maybe I have a disadvantaged um, neighbor or friend. By the way, Rip Shlomo translates uh, neighbor as the person standing next to you. Who's ever right next to you? 
That's your neighbor. It's a beautiful way of understanding that. But um, anyway, according to the rabbis, the way, the ideal way that you fulfill that mitzvah is through the husband-wife relationship. That the ultimate neighbor, if you will, would be your husband or your wife. And so that level of chesed is, is to be able to do that with your spouse. So, so, you know, a lot of us are, you know, trying to save people in the four corners of the world, and that's beautiful, and there's nothing wrong with that. But not to lose track of your most immediate primary relationships, which have to be really honored and, and, and constantly nurtured. Um, <coughs> the way the Torah says this is, V'yahavta l'reach kamocha. And what I think is so striking is that that's three words. V'yahavta l'reach kamocha. Look how God changed all of human civilization and human history with three words. Three words. If you want to know what the power of an idea is, you don't have to write war and peace, right? And the truth doesn't take very long to utter. Three words. So, so what I was struck by, and this is in um, uh, Vayikra, 1918, the book of Leviticus, 1918. I was struck by what are the psukim, what are the verses immediately following that, that, that command? And I'll read them to you. This is now uh, 1919. You shall, you shall observe my decrees. You shall not mate your animal into another species. You should not plant your field with mixed seeds. And a garment that is a mixture of combined fibers shall not come upon you. Okay, so that's a little stilted, that, that English. But basically, we have, we have forbidden mixtures. Like, for instance, you don't want to have, I think it's a, um, a donkey and an ox. Not positive, but I think that's the, the, the two things plowing together. Because one, one's going to be working harder than the other, and they're both yoked together, and that's wrong. Different types of seeds, like vegetables and fruits, or a vineyard and fruits or vegetables. You don't want to plant them together in the same field. They're competing for resources in a way that's, that's not right. And also like um, wool and linen in the same garment, you don't want to have mixed together. So these are also very deep mystical ideas as well. They're called, you know, it's, it's called a chok. It's, it's not to be understood rationally. But, but what I'm struck by is if you wanted to um, give me the, the ultimate um, all-embracing like togetherness words from the Torah, it would be that's like the ultimate we're all one big hug everything like that, right? Everyone in the big tent. Okay, so that's why I was so struck that the verses right afterwards are there's certain things that shouldn't be mixed. And it's called a chok. Hashem calls it a hope that these are super rational, not irrational, but be, beyond the rational mind's ability to comprehend. So this is the great challenge. This is the great challenge that we're faced with. To be embracing in a real way, but to be able to say, that I can't do. Or that far I can't go. 
And to be able to reconcile these two things, and to understand that I'm not always going to be able to understand the reason for the parameters around my life that God suggests that I erect, but that they exist. And that with an open heart, I have to reach out and to love every single person. Remember, Rav Shlomo says, your neighbor, who's your neighbor? The person next to you. I have to love everybody in the entire world. But at the same time, there's certain things, certain things that I don't do. And that there's ultimately not a contradiction. Because everything, both of those commands are coming from God. And so, and so as we go forward, we should all be blessed that we should experience the wholeness that's in creation. And that we shouldn't be afraid. And that we should understand that part of the completion of the world is encountering lack, real and imagined, and to be able to know which is which, and to be able to pray and to have our real needs fulfilled, and to be able to have the strength to resist the deception of that which we're told we need that we don't in fact need. And to be able to resist desiring that which is enticing, but that ultimately Hashem says, don't go there. And um, it's been a few thousand years. We haven't quite gotten it yet. <laughs> but the good news is we will. And with God's help, soon. Amen. 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 Serpent wants to do 
How did that happen? You just spoke to yourself. And at the same time, I'm also talking to my therapist, Dr. Watt, and he's an amazing therapist. And, and I'm learning from him that I have the money and I have me. I'm different from my Well, I'll probably bring it here. That's probably the best thing. I'll make you CDs and I'll bring it here. Can you bring it every time if I miss?